Care to Chat. Hello and welcome to our podcast from the Northern Ireland Social Care Council. Social care, of course, an enormously important part of life here. And during the pandemic, it really came to the fore as social care staff were often the only human beings in touch with some of the most vulnerable and alone people in society. They did a truly heroic job. Now, in this series, we're going to hear about the career opportunities in social care right across the sector, daycare, domiciliary, residential and more, and how it can be the most rewarding of career choices. We'll also look to the future, looking at better social care against a backdrop of a growing and ageing population. And that'll be a conversation with the Department of Health Chief Social Worker, Sean Holland. But today we're talking about loneliness. It's a huge problem in our communities. For social care staff, it's something that they encounter daily. So how to deal with it, how to support staff through training and self-care. And also, what role does technology have to play as it becomes increasingly integrated in care and supporting care? So I'm delighted to have with me today three people. We've a social care employer from Connected Health. We have Rebecca Vogel, who's director of IT. We also have Rachel Brammer, who's director of stakeholder engagement and partnerships. And Stephen Brown, who's policy and public affairs officer for the Red Cross here in Northern Ireland. And Stephen's here because he's also a loneliness expert. And um, Stephen, that's something that really I didn't know existed. But um, we'd really like to hear from you about what loneliness is and how it affects people, particularly in a social care context. So um, so the official definition of loneliness that is used by the campaign to end loneliness and many other organisations is loneliness is a subjective and unwelcome feeling which results from a mismatch in the quality and quantity of social relationships we have and those we desire. Um, that's the official um, definition. I think the key thing is it's, um, diff- it's often associated with isolation, but loneliness and isolation are different things. So isolation simply refers to the quantity of relationships that someone may have, whereas loneliness is that personal subjective feeling. So this is where someone could be isolated and not feel lonely, and yet someone could be in a crowd and feel lonely. This is um, so. Uh, well, that's the, that's the <laughs> kind of that's the sort of official definition, as you say. But I suppose it's something that we've all thought about a lot more. I suspect over the last couple of years, when uh, many people who would not have considered themselves to be lonely suddenly find themselves in a situation where they lost a lot of their social contacts, where they maybe lost contact with their families and so on. And maybe it's given us all a bit more of an understanding of of what it feels like to be either alone or lonely or um, isolated. Yeah, I think the pandemic really kind of... um, It showed how easy it can be to become lonely and it gave... I think a lot of people just that little glimpse of what it is like to be kind of cut off from your community and your friends and family. Um, and it did kind of bring loneliness really into the into the mainstream um, and, you know, into kind of public discourse a lot, lot more. Um, and I think f- I think the, uh, the main thing is, but the, the real kind of serious implications of it is that loneliness, uh, the pandemic exacerbated loneliness amongst people who were already lonely in the first place. You know, if you look at um, official loneliness statistics for Northern Ireland, um, they 
loneliness was already a real an entrenched problem in Northern Ireland before the pandemic, and actually it only increased uh, officially uh, by three percent um, in this year's statistics. So it's now one in five people experience loneliness at least some of the time. So it only increased by three percent, which shows that actually the pandemic. Okay, it, it, it impacted, um, it increased loneliness. But, you know, it really, it, it exacerbated loneliness amongst people who are already suffering this problem in the first place, um, which kind of shows, you know, you know, that loneliness needs to be addressed really as a long-term basis, even as we come out of this, come out of the pandemic. I mean, I'm not suggesting that everyone who's lonely is in some kind of social care setting, but but for social care workers, particularly perhaps domiciliary visitors or people who were working with with clients in residential care who weren't able to see their family and friends and so on, it, put, it placed a great burden or great onus, maybe is a better word, on them. They were sometimes the only person that that person saw in a day um, and that's that's quite a, a pressure uh, from a working point of view isn't it? Yeah and I think it kind of um, it emphasises how important those connections are um, you know we, we work with um, um, you know, many amazing voluntary and community groups who were doing just incredible innovative things during the during the pandemic um, so you had the kind of virtual dancing classes, you had the kind of virtual stitching, arts and crafts, everything like that. It showed just how important those kind of connections are in terms of keeping, you know, you always have to remember if you're maybe seeing someone for half an hour or an hour, that could be maybe the only time that someone is seeing someone from outside their household. So that that connection is is absolutely vital um, given the impact of loneliness. Um, and as I say, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in quite a fortunate position in that we do work uh, um, with many incredible groups and I am constantly blown away by the um, just the amount of activities and the way that people are um, kind of helping each other connect with uh, and overcome loneliness. As I say, it's, um, it's, I'm constantly amazed and it's just one of the most biggest kind of pleasures to kind of see that kind of stuff happening all across Northern Ireland. You used the word virtual there, and we've all become familiar with that really over the last couple of years. And uh, Rebecca and Rachel, that's a manna from heaven as far as you're concerned, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I mean, you know, we've got used to doing the Zoom calls, baking muffins, doing dancing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, tell us a bit about Connected Health, Rebecca, and, and the ways in which you can now use technology and integrate it into uh the care that that the people that you're working alongside uh, are receiving. Sure. So um, Connected Health, uh, the company, was established in 2012. And I suppose over the last 10 years, what we've tried to do is change how home care actually looks. Um, and that's by using innovative solutions through technology and different softwares um, to really address the problems um, that are out there in real life communities, um, such as Stephen's said, in terms of loneliness, social isolation. So what we've tried to do is um, work on a journey towards delivering home care 2.0, as we like to call it. And that's combining um, virtual and technology solutions with these physical care visits um, that are very standardised um, as the industry stands um, today. Um, we're trying to focus on um, a package of choice for people so that they um, have a solution that delivers um, something that, that gives them exactly what they need rather 
rather than just a standard task-based model that they're they're kind of given. Um, I suppose if they have requested help from a social team or if they've been discharged from hospital. Um, so we've been working on a bespoke package called um, Connected Health 2.0, and that's a premium offering that combines physical care with technology solutions, so that they have choice in what their care looks like. Um, and obviously, the the benefits for that and um, what was a key benefit throughout the pandemic was that a lot of that can be delivered in terms of virtual care services. So you can have someone, you know, through a mobile device, a smartphone, a tablet, through an Alexa device, coming on screen um, to actually speak to a person. Um, through the pandemic, we started a get online scheme for a lot of our clients who were terrified to have physical, um, real people in their homes, um, including their own family members. So what we really wanted to do was to get them connected, get them online so that they could join the virtual classes that Stephen mentioned, that they could, you know, still join their church groups on a Sunday, but that also we could um, keep an eye on them in terms of, right, um, we'll make sure that they've got up today, that they're safe in their own home, that they've been taking their medication today. Um, we implemented other, you know, um, services such as delivering their shopping to their door and um, just really trying to go above and beyond to make sure that they felt that they weren't alone in the pandemic particularly. Um, and I suppose the good thing is on the back of that, we've been able to now um, deploy this service across um, our entire business and add on different technologies um, to facilitate care in the home um, that have reduced then the physical capacity that's required, but also re-enabled people, um, allowed them to live more independently, but not eliminated that social interaction that they require, um, especially in terms of you know social isolation and, and people who feel lonely. Um, um, as well as monitoring then their their mental well-being and their their general well-being um, in, in their day-to-day lives. Gosh, it's a long list of things that, that you're, <laughs> you're able to do. Um, Rachel, t- tell me a bit about the, these kind of, this combination of digital and physical and yeah. so on. I mean, um, on the one hand, you've got people who... Uh, Rebecca was talking about there who were scared stiff of somebody coming yeah. into their home during the pandemic. On the other hand, I'm sure there are other people who are worried that they won't see anyone anymore. Yeah. Um, so uh, how does that all kind of fit, fit together? together? Well, I think as well, um, you know, right now investment is kind of decreasing within social care. So we um, want to give people the option not just of the type of care they receive, but also what they're maybe able to afford as well. Um, so if, say, this is something that um, they weren't able to get fulfilled with a trust package, they they can maybe pay for um, a level of support for their family member and making it virtual makes it more affordable. Um, So within, we have a care configurator. So you can go on and basically create your own care package and that can be physical care and you can choose at any time of day how many visits you would like for whatever tasks or whatever you need. Um, And then you can choose virtual care and that's somebody coming on a computer, um, your phone, any kind of device and that's to check in on you. And and I think um, we don't want to complain completely replace the physical care but if somebody's living remotely or they um, aren't getting a physical care package but you still want to check in on them we've proven throughout the pandemic that we can give that level of service and that level of um, you know checking in on someone making them feel a certain way and giving them some companionship through virtual devices and through telephone calls. Well I suppose we've all been doing that haven't we? Exactly. And the same calls and what have you talking my my case to my grandchildren my friends in London and so on. Are there other things that, are there actual physical things that the digital devices can do, Um, say for instance with 
people who need reminded about their medication, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So we can do that with virtual calls as well. So we can maybe prompt someone to take their medication. But part of their service as well is they can choose um, some digital devices that have been through our living lab. So we actually have a living lab on site and we test these products to make sure they're suitable for the home care setting so that that takes out the hard work for everybody else. Um, And then we offer these as part of a package that they can go ahead with. And we do have um, specific medicine dispensing robots that will give you the right medication at the right time and it gives you um, a button that will light up green and it will give you a, a audible prompt so that you can then go and take your medication so it means that you don't, don't have to have somebody there and if you're physically able to go and walk to push the button then it maybe takes away because some people don't want somebody physically in their house three times a day giving them their medication if they can manage that another way then that's an option for them um, and there are also other devices like you can have a wearable that will let somebody see where you are within your home Um, and that's really important because we can pick up um, early kind of detections on if you're maybe getting up at 3am in the morning and going into the kitchen we can see if there's maybe early onset Alzheimer's or maybe it's something as simple as a UTI starting to come on and we need to get you medication it's trying to get that as Rebecca said re-enablement piece and trying to get early intervention to to make those changes before they become a problem and they maybe end up with a hospital admission so there's some really useful technology out there um, and we're trying to make it available for people in their homes. That's actually fascinating, isn't it? And it, I suppose it frees up, Stephen, the human element to, to do other things, um, maybe to, you know, to have a bit of fun with people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of, the, one of the, the issues of loneliness is that if someone is finding themselves kind of, we talk about the kind of spiral of loneliness, in that if someone begins begins to kind of fall into loneliness, then they can, they can easily start to kind of exacerbate and get worse. You know, the kind of physical health, they, the, the mental health can yeah. go. Um, you know, and then things like looking after your well-being, even like, you know, hygiene, things like that. Yeah. So if you have that kind of support, any kind of digital support whatsoever, then you can begin to, even as you say, begin kind of look, looking after yourself a bit more and begin to kind of increase that confidence, begin to mm-hmm. be able to then... Um, kind of uh, kind of boost your self-esteem and be able to perhaps then kind of take those big first steps in terms of going out and kind of seeing other people. So it's yeah. one of the things about the, about the care sector and about social care workers, particularly maybe in a domiciliary setting, but in a residential home as well, because it's perfectly possible to be lonely in the mm-hmm. middle of a lot of people that maybe you don't want to be with mm-hmm. um, for the sake of argument. But that business of getting to know the person allows you to spot changes, doesn't it? Changes in behaviour, change in mood, which are maybe signs of of something else. Absolutely. So the Red Cross provide um, community connector services. Um, we have two services in Northern Ireland, uh, one in Belfast, one in Fermanagh and West Tyrone. And they're kind of very much kind of person-centred uh, support. They're a 12-week programme for people who are referred to the service. And a huge, one of the biggest steps simply is that talking to the to the service user. Mm-hmm. Um, during that 12-week programme, there'll be um, once-a-week visits for between one and two hours. They often run over because one of the biggest, most important things is just talking, getting to absolutely know the person. Um, beyond simple kind of diagnostics or anything else, simply getting to know the entire person's story, maybe what what are the issues that they were facing, you know, and 
and listening, properly, properly listening. One of the biggest issues, uh, the people referred to the service are the people who would be perhaps the most kind of chronic loneliness. They're the people who have been kind of, they're maybe described as difficult cases. And one of the things I often say to our staff and volunteers is that they simply just were not listened to mm-hmm. in terms of those exact issues that have to be addressed. Um, so, you know, one of the, you know it, it may sound simple, but... That talking and listening is some of the, the most important steps yeah, that any definitely. staff or volunteers can, can take. Absolutely. It's it's very interesting. And I think a, a great example of one of the services that um, we piloted, actually, in, in collaboration with the, the Southeastern Trust, um, it actually ran through the pandemic. Um, so within that, um, we... We had um, a bespoke uh, wellbeing facilitating plan for these clients to test um, an outcome-based approach rather than a task-based approach where we um, were able to kind of increase packages, decrease packages based on what they need and the end goal to re-enable these clients and actually immerse them back into their local communities, encourage them to go back to, you know, the local groups that were there. Um, And of course, the pandemic hit right in the middle of this. um, And we were able to test these virtual solutions and virtual wellbeing um, facilitating solutions within that. Um, And I suppose one of the interesting things was um, the data that we collected in terms of um, pre-assessment and the data we we collected at that first wave of COVID in terms of their well-being and how they actually felt. Obviously, seen a dip; they weren't seeing anyone anymore. We had re-enabled them back into their community, and all of a sudden, everything was shut down. Mm-hmm. So it was a real, you know, opportunity for us to introduce them to technology to say this is the way that you can integrate and that yeah. you can still keep in contact with your family, your friends, all of these communities. And it ended up when we did our our um, post first wave assessment with them they had an average increase in their well-being of 53% which we were delighted with yeah. in terms of you know really proving the the concept that by integrating different solutions and being innovative when these these things happen I mean no one could have predicted a pandemic um, but it really kind of spiked the interest in technology and gave us an opportunity to introduce it to services then across across the board. Um, but but the, having that data in terms of you know proving the concept in terms of um, adoption into policy is really what we're um, passionate about to change how home care will look across Northern Ireland and of course the the rest of the UK as well. Your organisation has has quite a big staff. You have fourteen hundred people, I think. We do, yes. Uh, the vast majority of whom actually work in the social social care area. Yeah. How have you gone about looking after their uh, mental well-being, sure. uh, helping them uh, to look after themselves yeah. uh, and enable them to, to deal with the, the people that they're working with every day? Sure. So Connected Health, I've always had um, since the first day a 3T approach for talent training and technology. The talents are number one thing in terms of we recruit talented people. Um, they don't necessarily have to come from the healthcare world, but we identify and see talent in everyone. Um, and the training then comes as a secondary factor to that. So we have our own in-house training academy, Connected Academy, where we um, take someone who 
maybe has had no training experience, run them through the mandatory units that they need to be a care assistant, but also upskill them to a level where they feel confident in their role, confident that they can deliver enhanced and premium care services, but also then a career path that they can move through where OCN accredited up to level five now in terms of um, that kind of care module and health and social care training. Um, And what we try to deliver is a career path for them, but also for them to feel valued um, as members of of the social care sector. Um, I mean, throughout the the pandemic, obviously, both the NHS and the private health care sector worked um, tirelessly. Um, You know, they were really the care heroes. And for that, we ensured that they, you know, were safe working in terms of PPE, ensuring that we upskilled them to a level that they were trained to use their PPE, that they felt safe in people's homes. We had dedicated COVID teams, actually, um, who volunteered to go into clients with COVID so that we could enable hospital discharge for COVID patients. Um, And truly, we know that the staff and the clients are at the heart of our business. Um, and we're very passionate about both delivering a high level of care, but also um, becoming and being a great employer mm-hmm. that values their employees. And that's all very interesting, actually, Stephen, isn't it? I mean, I wonder how you have dealt with that in, in the Red Cross. I mean, Rebecca there said you know, that, that the staff had worked tirelessly, which is absolutely the case uh, for the last couple of years. Um, but the pandemic may have abated, but... There are there are new challenges as well, and there is a pressure on on staff all the time, and they really their needs are important too, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a huge part of it was ensuring that staff were felt connected and supported during the pandemic. Obviously, we all had to adjust to working from home, mm-hmm. uh, which suddenly, if you're in an office environment, to then being shut up in your house is a huge change. So, like many other organisations, you know, you had to adapt to the, the Zoom meetings and the and the uh, ensuring that there was all around person support, uh, which we, we we did really well. Um, and then afterwards, as we are kind of emerging from the pandemic, it's about being able to kind of adjust to doing more things in person again so um, you know it's a challenge in itself really isn't it yeah Yeah. it's kind of going going out there and uh, you know seeing people in 3D again yeah (laughs) exactly Um, but you know we we, we have adjusted really well our our community connector services has Mm -hmm. we we went from those kind of virtual activities into um, in person activities so you know we have walking groups we have uh, uh, cinema groups now that we we support people to go to Uh, We're talking about all of this, interestingly, I'm sure by some great dint of fantastic planning in Looney this week. <laughs> yes. Um, so what, what are, are you looking at in, in that week and what kind of outcomes would you like to have from the fact that people are talking about loneliness? Mm. So the main thing is those long-term policy solutions mm-hmm. um, that uh, I spoke about. So the main call is... We are the only part of the UK which does not have a loneliness strategy okay. in place. All all the rest of the UK introduced loneliness strategies in the last mm-hmm. five years. Mm-hmm. And so we are with the Secretariat for the Action Group on Loneliness Policy, which is 10 organisations which are all campaigning on loneliness policy here. And then they're also the all-party group on loneliness, which is at the, the uh, Stormont Assembly. And essentially that is leading the campaign for the development and implementation for a standalone NI loneliness strategy, which would put in place a comprehensive cross-sector framework to address loneliness amongst people of all ages and backgrounds. 
um, and put in that long term strategy that's really mm-hmm. needed. Because, you know, there is always there's constantly amazing projects and innovations going on. But, you know, you need that kind of joined up yeah. cohesive framework to ensure that, um, you know, all, all, all communities and all people can benefit from um, from uh, loneliness support. And from what each other is doing as well, which yeah. is always yeah. very helpful, isn't it? You yeah. know, I mean, I, d- I don't know the degree to which you think maybe you've benefited from hearing Rebecca and Rachel today, because I think I'm, what they're doing is astonishing. I, I, I may be annoying them quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I think yeah. even with what you say as well, you know, I think even having loneliness outcomes would be very useful exactly. for us mm-hmm. with the integration of new services and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, what we want to do as a company is we want to keep people safe in their home. Um, for longer, mm-hmm. decrease hospital admissions, you know, keep people safe and any way in which we can do that with this kind of integrated care approach. Um, and I think we need policy change within that as well to allow us to be able to integrate that, um, to look after the person as best we can. Absolutely. How do you see things developing uh, from the, the digital and uh, integrated point of view over the next five was 10 years too yeah. too far ahead? No, I mean, I think um, digital transformation is a big buzzword. You know, they're employing those within every sector. They've got um, NHS Digital now. You know, it's certainly something that will be rolling out. One of the biggest things um, and the big push at the minute is getting integrated software so that all the health systems can work together. And that's going to be revolutionary so that we can all then pull information, get a really good database and then are able to work off that database. And even for us, what that means is when you go in and, and see the doctor, they know what you were in hospital with and everyone has all the right information. Um, so that's probably point number one. And then um, I think point number two will just be be utilising the technology that's already there, but integrating it into systems to utilise it in the best way possible. Um, and then I think the third point after that will be using the data to improve care and outcomes for people. So I think it's a long way to go, but we're we're starting it's fascinating. The whole thing's been really interesting. Uh, thanks all of you very much indeed for talking about loneliness, the problem that it is in our communities, but also how uh, technology and integrated care uh, is becoming such a great support. Many thanks to Rebecca Vogel and Rachel Brammer from Connected Health and to Stephen Brown from the Red Cross. Thanks very much for joining me. If you'd like to learn more about a career in social care, you can visit niscc.info where you'll find some truly inspirational stories, learning resources, podcasts and much more. This has been Care to Chat, a podcast by the Northern Ireland Social Care Council. Please do subscribe and rate us. You can find the whole series wherever you get your podcasts. And do tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening.